Welcome to the It's Unreal Estate podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm your host. I'm a broker here in Salt Lake City. Today on the show, I want to address an article that just came out from the Deseret News about the calm before the potential storm in the housing market here in Utah. And then at the very end, I'll address three tools that I would recommend if you're just starting your DIY journey. These are three tools that I started with that got me into it and can help you get into DIY. So stay with us. Welcome back. Today on Market Watch, it's that time of year again. We got Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas. From a real estate standpoint, a number of years ago, I learned my first year in real estate that this would be my slowest time of year. Now, I thought, you know, I was going to have great months all the time, but turns out there's an ebb and a flow to real estate. And who wants to move during the holiday season, especially with the family? I've got Ryan here, Ryan Hell here on the show with me today. Ryan, with you and your family, could you imagine moving? like a major housing move right now during this season. I can't even imagine getting my kids to clean their room right now. <laughs> it's too much of a hassle. Yeah, no, that, that definitely sounds like uh, it's understandable that that would be a slow time. And yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about it either. Yeah. Are your kids in a specific place for school that you guys like them to be in? Like would if uprooting them, how would it be to uproot them right now if you were like to move mid-year? Uh, that's definitely something that we have always considered when looking He's like, how much, how much is this going to up, you know, shake up what's going on with the kids? Yeah. I mean, you know, if it was, if it wasn't for that, like I would could just, you know, anytime I found something cool, I would just go. But yeah, no, we you don't want to pull the kids out in the middle of a school year. You don't want to, I don't know, you want to make, give them time to prepare and meet people and stuff like that. So yeah, the kids for me, that's a big part of like what I would consider when I'd be a big factor when I looking. Yeah. And that is why so many people this time of year are not going to move. So what we're seeing in the market watch is interestingly enough, this time last year, there were actually less available properties on the market than there are today. So we have a, just a three, very small 3% increase in the number of available properties today. There's a reason for that. I'm going to be talking about that in the next segment about the calm before the potential storm, but everything else is on incredible decline. So the backup offers, meaning an offer is under contract, but they're still accepting other offers because maybe they didn't get as much as they wanted. Those are down literally 23%. So last year we had a thousand of those going like right now where you could still make a play potentially for that home. There's only 700 right now. But the biggest one is going to be those that have withdrawn their homes, meaning that they did have their homes for sale. For whatever reason, they realized we might not be able to buy a home. So we've seen a decrease in 23% on that as well. We There's only, you know, of the 800 withdrawn homes, you know, from last year, there's 600 this year. We're just seeing more and more people realizing I might have to stay where I am. I might have to refinance. And I personally believe that the reason why the active properties are up this time is because we have a lot of sideline sitters, people waiting to see what's going to happen to the market. So that may or may not include you. 
It does include me. I'm also always on the lookout for property and I'll see stuff pop up and I'll think this is garbage for what, you know, for what they're asking. Or I think that looks fabulous, but I'm going to be competing with so many people. Why even try? So where do you fit in? Well, I think like maybe this is like peaking something in my like curiosity is like, you know, is this something that I can, do you want to ride this wave or like kind of like game it a little bit? And like, is this a time, is this a good time for someone like me to be looking like, is that what you're, is that what we're seeing here? Yeah, exactly. The sideline sitters are doing just that, which is why some of these properties are sitting longer than they did last year. Again, people don't always want to pull their kids out right now. They're, they're established. Maybe they do have like a good housing situation. They just want to upgrade at some point or in your situation, maybe they want to actually get into a property. But what we're seeing is, is people go, well, it's been good for a while with interest rates. Why would that change? Uh, prices don't seem to be rising at the rate that they were rising last year. So maybe if we just rode this out, they'll go back down. And so if the longer I wait, then the higher the potential is that'll work out for me. So yeah, that's what people are doing. They're definitely gaming the system. Does that make sense? Yeah, does that work? I mean, is this a, is that a good strategy or is this what you're going to tell me that like, I need to... Yeah, see, the reason why I've, I mentioned <laughs> the next segment on this article is it's not going to work, at least not right now. All right. So it may work in other communities, but Salt Lake City has a thriving economy. And so while the economy is strong, it does strengthen that foundation of these properties all their values. So basically market watch today is and today's current snapshot is to give listeners the idea that this is the time to buy because so many people don't want to move while it's cold, while their kids are in their schools, when the holidays are coming up and they have plans. This is actually a fabulous time to not compete with as many people. And from what we're seeing, there's actually more homes available this year, this time this year, than there was last year. So this is a great opportunity. In the next segment, when we get to it, I want to talk about the calm before the potential storm, an article written that was released by the Deseret News that details the reasons why I believe this is the best time to buy for the year 2021 and why you shouldn't wait. That does it for Market Watch. Stay with us when we come back. I'll talk to you about the storm. All right, welcome back. So I came across this article. Uh, I saw some other realtor colleagues of mine post it. And it was sent out by the Deseret News. So if you're if you're from Utah and you're familiar, it's one of the newspapers here. And the title of it in the business section is In Wake of 2020, Feeding Frenzy. Utah home sells slow in what may be the calm before a potential storm. Now, we always talk in social settings and at work and among people about real estate that, oh, when's the bubble going to burst? When's the floor going to fall out like the bottom? Uh, When's the next crash? We use these terms all the time. I hear them all the time. If you read this title, not really knowing yet what the article is about, just instantly, what does it spark in you? What do you think when you hear potential storm? What is that? Well, storm sounds bad, so I don't know. Like, I guess that I was, 
I had to go with the context of that. Like, so the storm is going to be people um, purchasing homes, right? That's going to be like, so I guess uh, it, me- it kind of gives me that urgency. Like maybe I should, you know, this may not be the best time for me to start looking, but uh, I'd rather not be in the storm because I haven't fared too well, you know, putting my offers up against other people's yeah. and there's, you know, so I do see there's, there's some urgency. I, I feel like there might be some urgency. And so I don't know. Am I, am I reading that right? You are. There's a reason for that urgency. So in 2020, coronavirus just destroyed so many things in people's lives. Part of what it did was that it affected people's ability to work. So the economy had to have some type of help from the government. They're thinking, we're going to ease the burden that we... Well, we have told stories like, oh, when I purchased a home, it was 14%, 18%. We've not seen stuff like that since the 80s. But in recent years, we've gone as low as 3.5, 3.2. And that is bananas already. But then you get down, I've seen some as low as 1.9. And that's like giving them away, right? Giving loans away. And what happens is, is that means that people, not only can more people afford homes now that couldn't before because that interest rate's so low, but more people can afford more expensive homes than they could before. And they can pay more to principal. They're not paying as much to interest. And so 2020 was this, let's chum the water. People are losing their work. We're going to give them unemployment. We're going to lower the interest rates. We're going to prime the market for places that people are interested in living. And we are going to flood it with capable buyers. And not only are they capable, but they're paying their mortgages back. They're able to make those payments. So we saw a massive decline in our inventory. Well, 2021 hits and we see a slowing. So... Last year, if you liked a home, it was around $430,000. You want to take a guess how much you'd have to pay for that same home this year? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) Significantly more. $550,000. So it went up 28%. We were only second behind Idaho in how quickly home prices went up, right? But what's interesting is, is this year in 2021... Home sales are down 18% from what they were in 2020 because everybody bought everything. Yeah. And so what what's really going on, right? Like, so there is a slowing. Now, prices are not going down, but the rate at which prices are increasing, that is slowing. So there's a deceleration there. Interest rates, though, they do think that they could rise this time next year to about 3.5, 3.6, which is a full point. And so that would preclude people from purchasing homes by about eighty dollars to $90,000 from what they could buy today. So if they could buy that $550,000 home today, next year, it looks more like four hundred and sixty, because that interest rate now precludes them from that amount. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And the reason why it's interesting and the reason why there's a potential storm is because think about it. If you're waiting for something to pop up and you think next year it's just going to continue this way, but they start raising that interest rate and you're like, our money's worth less next year. Yeah. The natural instinct may be, 
just do it. We got to do it. Yeah. And so the potential storm is everybody who's waiting jumps back in. They're out. They're they're waiting. The water's calm. They're kind of watching. But the truth is, is we're not seeing a lot of homes go for twenty and thirty offers anymore. It's more like two and three. You're still going to compete, and if it's a credible home, I could see as many as seven to eight, but really not 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 like serious offers. People are waiting, but the reason why people won't wait is because there are some zip codes a lot of people want to live in. And I know you have access to this information, but what would you have guessed off the top of your head if you had to guess? Like, what are the most expensive places people live in right now where the median home prices are the most? Um, I'd have to say, like, Sugar House. That's Um, one of them. Probably, I don't know, where we're at here in Draper, it seems like these houses are pretty expensive. That's another one of them, yep. Um, I have, I'm, I'm down in Utah County a lot. I've noticed that, um, that where we're at in Provo, Springville, Spanish Fork, although I've seen those housing prices go up. I don't know if they fit in that same category as those. Yeah. Yeah. So Alpine is number one. Okay. Yeah. And for good reason, if you've ever been there, that place, the new median home price went up by $380,000 year over year. So it's at $1.1 million for the median home in that area. Immigration Canyon, which is you mm-hmm. know just northeast of Salt Lake. A lot of like influential people, athletes, celebrities, they live up in there. That's just under a million. And then Draper, you got it, right where we are right now. That's number three. It's actually tied with the avenues. Wow. So those are at 825000 And then, believe it or not, I know Sandy gets a bad rap because it has a lot of areas that maybe aren't very nice, but it's number five. So we've got these areas that are right here in Salt Lake. And I guess that brings us to the point of Salt Lake was just ranked 10th most unaffordable place to live <laughs> in the United States. Oh, man. You're raising a family. You're renting. Does this? Oh, do, that, do, are uh, you feeling this? Uh, yeah, it's it's obviously kind of stressful to to put it in those terms, especially when, I mean, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that it was, you know, the idea of living in Utah was this is where you live for cheap housing. So yeah, to see that to see that change, um, yeah, it is it's kind of stressful, but it does it does you know, for property owners, homeowners, I mean, this is good news, right? For property owners, absolutely, they're going to continue making money. And they can take that money and buy something new and just put it all down in the next house. Or they can take their money out of state because there's a lot of places out of state where people still want to live and and rent. It's just more affordable to purchase. What's interesting about what you mentioned is affordable housing. Could you imagine that affordable housing is $485,000 in Salt Lake County? Yeah. Here's the problem with that. The average household income is $92,000. So I'm going to give out a ratio. may not make a lot of sense to people, but I'll bring it in with context. So price to income ratio, that puts the the house price to income ratio at 5.2. That doesn't mean anything to anybody, but here's why it might. The average ratios that experts recommend for you to invest in property is 2.6, half. So you either need to start making more money or going to places where the homes are less or both. You just mix the two. But where we're at, we're double the ratio for Utahns, more than half of this state. 
cannot afford what's considered affordable housing. And so the reason why that's important is because if you have the ability to go back through some of my previous episodes and consider investing in property with a buddy using the buddy system that I mentioned, if you reach out to credit unions that are local, like Mountain America, they do have programs where they have the ability to have you put down less money so you can still get into something with very competitive interest rates. A lot of that initial problem to get into homes is people don't have the down payment when the homes are more expensive. And so, but people are still worried, well, what if I buy right now and everything crashes? Does that thought ever cross your mind? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I look at the, you know, just, I mean, thinking about the recession, it's like there's some things right. that are like, if I'm putting that much money into an investment and for it to go upside down on me, that would, you know, I don't have a lot of resource to recover from that. You don't. Not a lot of people did in 2008, which is why it was detrimental. 2008 was special. But I want to reiterate something. So you mentioned the Great Recession, right? That was 15 straight months of decline in the economy where prices and values went down consistently month over month before they had a month where they started to go up again. A bubble is just that. It is consistent months of home prices declining. So when you start to see what people are asking come down. Now, again, there is a difference between what a home is being asked for and what it evaluates for. When we start to see those price home evaluations decline month over month, that is considered, by definition, a bubble. Because then we have available properties that are becoming cheaper, and they're basically sucking the value out of its neighboring properties because the neighbors base their home prices on what sells around them. So if something really nice down the street sells and you live in that neighborhood, your home value tends to go with it. If a nice building is built or like a, they build a nice park nearby, it can up the value of that property, right? Because it inherently has value. What we're seeing though is, is this isn't necessarily a bubble. It's just a deceleration, meaning the, it's not going to go up 28% year over year again. This isn't like Bitcoin where you're going to get lucky out of nowhere and all of a sudden your home value is just going to skyrocket year over year from $0.02 cents to $66,000 like that did. So housing, though, is still the way to go. It's easily the way to go if you want to live here. It, from an investor standpoint, it would be more difficult. There are way easier cities to purchase homes in in other states. Um, but basically, to everybody listening, this is my urge to you. If you're sitting on the sidelines, if you're pre-approved, and if you have money, I would be happy to talk to you or talk to any other real estate professional. Get in touch with your loan officer. Find out where you are financially right now. Go back to my second episode, listen all about loans with Travis Van Noy. That's a great resource reach out to him or I have many other people that you could reach out to. I'm sure everybody here has their person. But find a way to get yourself into property now before this inevitably gets out of your reach. And again, the only reason why there would be a feeding frenzy to basically eat up the rest of the available properties is if the Federal Reserve decides we're going to start raising interest rates 
People are going back to work. They're going back to offices. You know, there's booster shots. Small children are now able to get COVID. We're seeing a change in the economy. It's strengthening again. Personally, I hope gas prices go back down at some point because I drive a lot for a living. But figure out a way to make it work in, I guess, the 10th most unaffordable city in the country. <laughs> and if this, again, if this becomes too too much work to think about Utah, go back to my latest episode where I talk with my uh, former colleague, Andy Dean. He's an investor. He does this for a living. And he explains in great detail his risk, risk tolerance and how he started investing here but took his money when elsewhere with it. So that does it for this segment. I hope this was helpful information. You can find this resource on Deseret News. There is a, uh, a sistering article that does a really good job in great detail called, We've Never Seen Anything Like This. As the West Housing Market Rages, Utah Faces Severe Imbalance. That's another article that you can find on Deseret News that details what a bubble is and what an imbalance is and how that corrects itself. That does it for this segment. In our next segment, I'm going to discuss just a few of my favorite tools to get started with. If you have never really gotten into DIY, stay with us. All right, welcome back to our last segment. So, Ryan, you and I have talked previously about having to fix things. When you were growing up in your house, y'all have quite a few siblings. Did you guys do a lot on your own? Um, I mean, I don't, we never, there was never like contractors coming in to fix stuff. Yeah. We had a lot of things that were broken for a long time. But yeah, no, we had to, if there was repairs to go around, dad did them or he told us to do them and then he would fix it after we tried <laughs> to do it. Did, did you ever have like an early memory of when you started working on things and what tools you used? Um, I remember fixing a hole in the drywall and I remember oh. like, I and mean, this is like, I don't think it was like a angry punch hole in the wall. I think it was like a door hitting the wall. Um, I remember my dad fixing it and I remember, so that's the first time I used a, like a, a drill, like a, a you know, screw on drill, you know, like to yep. drill, cause he was, he was doing the, put the two by four behind the drywall and I'm thinking that was so cool, you know, like as a little kid yeah. wanted to play. That's with. a good method for drywall patching. Yeah. I've done that method as well. Yeah. So for you though, do you feel that there's any specific tool that you use that you're pretty proficient in? Um, I feel like that's one of those things, like I'm not somebody who's always had like a full set of tools around me. Like I, like living in the house, I always use dad's tools mm -hmm. and then like living in apartments is single. I just never accumulate them. So I'm always missing. So I was, it's always like making do, you know, like. <laughs> How many things can I use a crescent wrench for? You know, it's like, what can I use? This Anything for? from IKEA. <laughs> what kind of? So, um, but yet, as I've gotten, like, there's a couple things that I I feel like I need, and there's always something like I wish I could. You know, you always want like, I mean, it would be great to have a table saw. I don't have a table oh, yeah. saw, you know, but like, that's one of those things that I wish I had. You know, getting a drill or a socket wrench or hammer for that matter, you know, mm -hmm. or even just a, like a saw. Like those are those are heavy use, but yeah, there's some wish list items for sure. Yeah, when I got started, and by the way, this is primarily going to be about three power tools. I do think it's important to have a whole slew of hand tools yeah. just for everything around the house. But a lot of people are scared to do DIY because they're scared of the tool, and they should be. Like, they are dangerous. They can be. 
And so it is good to get started with some more simple hand use power tools to get your confidence up. Very first power tool I ever used was a jigsaw. Have you ever used one of those? I have, yeah. It's pretty scary. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what what's been your experience with using? Um, well, just that um, I don't. When I've used a jigsaw, it's you know you're usually doing it for something that like needs a little bit of precision. Obviously, that's what the jigsaw is for. It's uh, something I'm not usually confident in. I'm not usually like, oh, I can definitely make this shape and the wood <laughs> the jigsaw. Like I don't, I'm not super confident with it, so I think that might be a problem with it. And then just even like knowing what kind of projects would benefit from using that tool, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like you don't know until you're in the middle of it. You're oh, like, for sure. well, what do I yeah. need? And so I thought what would be helpful is in this segment, I could just throw out a couple, three tools that I think is a good start and then what I would use them for. So Ryobi makes a multi-tool. Now it's an oscillating tool, which means it kind of looks like it's vibrating, but it has a number of different blades for wood cutting, metal cutting, plastic cutting. People use them for cutting pipes or for doing precision cuts in really tight spaces with already existing items like a baseboard that's already on the wall or uh, trying to remove some, some aspect of the wall so you can fit tile there or wainscoting or something of that nature where you can't make that cut in a garage because it's already existing. So that tool that Ryobi gives off also has different changeable heads. And one of those heads is a jigsaw. I love the jigsaw. I think it's the most versatile tool to get started with. I used one. This is hilarious. I still get made fun of this to this day. And I didn't know that when you, because in Texas growing up, we had carpet in our bathrooms. So I thought that was normal. Turns out it's disgusting. And I see it here sometimes. It always makes me laugh. Because a toilet is going to have a problem at some point in overflow. That carpet's going to get wretched. So I said, let me put down wood flooring. And it was real wood. It was parquet flooring. So it looked like the Celtics old basketball court. And I didn't know you'd take the toilet off. So I literally precision cut the wood perfectly around the base of the toilet. And years later, when they removed the toilet, the plumber was like, I've never seen this. Who does this? He's like, it's good work, but the new toilet can't sit right on top. So they had to change the floor. But I learned how to use a jigsaw for that. So that was the first real experience I had. And so if you're considering needing something for small projects and you don't want a big saw, go with the jigsaw, go with the multi-tool. It's all one set. It's very affordable. You can get them for under $70. The second one is perhaps my favorite tool in history of all time. And it's the miter saw. Have you ever used one of these? Yeah, that's one that like I'd say like in those situations where you know you're trying to DIY and then you get call someone in who knows what they're doing, the miter saw comes out. Miter and it's like and so I've been trying to mess around <laughs> doing whatever you know, finding weird tools to try and make something happen, and then someone who knows what they're doing comes in and takes over. They do. Miter saws are not all created equal. They come in different sizes. You can get like a seven and a half inch blade, 10, 12 inch blade. This is my suggestion: save a little bit of money and get a nice one, and you will never have to buy one ever again. I recommend a DeWalt if you can afford the brand. But there is, I'm going to use some terms here. Everybody can look them up. But you want it to be able to swivel and to slide. If it's a fixed miter saw, then all you're going to cut is those 12 inches. But if you can have a sliding, like pivoting miter saw, then you can make it go 45 degree angle. You can make it slide back and forth and cut things much, much wider 
than the 12 inches. So that would be something that I would suggest. I literally use this thing for everything. Shiplap cutting, any type of wood, two by fours when you're framing. Uh, you can do it to to basically take anything with wood or even metal, PVC piping if you're fitting plumbing. It's just a real quick you know, pull and you've got your cut. Now, if you use something different, like a jigsaw, it just takes longer. It's hand done. It's, you know, it's not going to be as precise. These things have lasers on them to show you where the line goes and they've got notches on it. So, you know, exactly, you know, where you're cutting. I would suggest go online, go to Home Depot, ask a lot of questions, save up your money. These things can range anywhere from about $160 to 500 bucks. They're very heavy. They come with a stand, which is awesome. You can just put that thing up anywhere where you're trying. And I found it to be the most versatile tool. The last tool is something you've already mentioned, and it's something that I think is required. Did you guys ever have like a battery-powered handheld screwdriver? Uh, like those, yeah, the like a Black & Decker? Like a Black yeah, & Decker, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, those things I feel like run out of battery quick. Oh, for sure. And they don't have a lot of power, and it's like They're I really might as well slow, yeah. use my hand yeah. tool, you know? The reason why the drill, and again, I'm going to make a distinction here. There is also something called an impact driver. Do you know the difference between a j- drill and an impact driver? Um, I, not enough to like say it all. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And I didn't actually really either for a long time. An impact driver, if you've ever seen one, looks a lot like a drill. It just is kind of a snub nose. So it's a yeah. lot shorter head. They are literally for screwing in screws. They're unbelievable at it. The drill can also do it, which is my suggestion. But drills can do things the impact drivers cannot, which is you put drill bits in them and you can make holes anywhere. So I would suggest, again, you can find these things for deals. You can literally go to Home Depot during a deal and get a jigsaw set with your drill with a light and like a little radio and like a battery powered like charger. And all of it will be together for like 500 bucks. You'll never need to buy anything ever again. You can just continue buying batteries because those tools will just keep working. I have two DeWalt drills that I love. I take them everywhere I go. I use them in almost every single project. I can find a reason to use them. So again, other tools I would just mention is a circular saw. You can buy those. You mentioned a table saw. Listen, those are amazing, but if you don't have a table saw or the space for it, get a circular saw. You can get a small one. You can just take the same idea, but move it by hand and they work and you can get proficient with it. You can make the blade go down just a little bit so you feel more comfortable with it. There's no fear that you're going to cut your fingers or anybody because it has a guard. Start out with these three tools, jigsaw, miter saw, and a drill. You would be surprised how many DIY projects you can do with it from flooring to plumbing, drywall, electrical, because what you're able to do is you're able to make space for all the things you want to install. And that is the first part of DIY is like we want to remove stuff, Great, go get a sledgehammer and remove it all. But when you start installing things and you're putting things in places they didn't go before and you're trying to match up flooring with existing cabinetry or other rooms and walls, you need these precision tools to learn how to do that. Hopefully this was helpful today. My goal with this podcast is to inform and to educate. My goal with my Instagram is not to depress people, but to make everybody laugh at what's out there and hopefully brighten everybody's day. Check it out. It's Unreal Estate is the handle for Instagram. Today on the show, we've had producer Ryan. We've produced this episode at the Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. Many thanks go to them for all the work and editing that they do for this podcast. Hopefully you'll learn something. If you'd like to talk to me more or have any questions, feel free to send those to my Instagram at It's Unreal Estate to my DM. I'm happy to pick that up and answer those for you. 
Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.